0: Valora is the easiest way to send, swap, collect, and grow your crypto on the Cello blockchain. Download the app and start exploring dApps like GoodDollar today at veloraappcom forward slash empire. Welcome back to uh, another roundup on empire. We've got Santi and two special guests joining this roundup. We have uh, David and Ren from the BlockWorks research team. So Santi, how you doing? Ren, David, how you guys doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? We're,
1: we're good. We're as good as we can be in this market.
0: Good. Santi, how you living?
2: Feeling good. You know, uh I'm still processing the regulatory pod that we did, and there's a lot of thoughts that we came came out of that. So that's gonna drop probably later this week. So uh yeah, it's always really good and encouraging to, to talk to real experts because there's a lot of thought these days on crypto Twitter. It's also <clears throat> maybe it's the Twitter feed, but my Twitter feed's just gone really bad as of late. <laughs> you know, the four years so, so dark
0: out there, it's so it's I would...
2: dark and the algorithm is like God, like someone has, like whoever's punting AI, like my God, go look at the for you tab and and really seriously think if this, (laughs) this is the future of AI. We're doomed, folks. (laughs) Someone was thinking about writing a script so that we totally like don't see the for you tab. And just go to like the the follower tab. So, anyways, if someone out there has figured this out, please, I'm I'm in a dire, desperate state at the moment. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with anyways. I'm feel otherwise feeling great. You know, yeah, really to good
0: deep. too. By the way, we got a I, we got a lot of messages after last week's roundup, which which was like very seemed like kind of a bearish roundup. We're talking about Binance, Coinbase, and I will say, I, I don't know, I'm feeling uber bullish this week about things. It feels like um we just hit that part of the market where like. Anyone who is not completely locked in on crypto is gone at this point. There's no one remaining who's like not very, very, very locked in. And what that does actually to the market and to startups is focus is at an all-time high. So, like the way I'm feeling right now, prices at an all-time low, focus at an all-time high.
2: And it's minute. really cool. Like prices are not at an all-time low, sir. I'm just I, I just need to clarify this because Sentiment when ETH hit yeah, like thousand, are actually up
0: like a hundred percent. Let's just like
2: reframe the con- like. It's important to say this because when ETH hit a thousand, it felt like the sentiment was much more positive than what it is now. And I'll tell you why because the market is rallying, the broader market is up, and nothing hurts more than seeing this uncorrelation where everything is ripping in tech land. The market's back up. You know, Fed is supposed to come out in a few hours, presumably going to pause the rate hike. And so that. You know, and so but still ETH is at holding at 1750 and Bitcoin at 25 and change. That's like up 50, 65 percent from the lows. Folks, I mean, let's just like zoom out for a minute because it's important to contextualize that. Like ETH can quickly go back to a thousand and, you know, Bitcoin could be back at sub 20 easily. Like this is the nature of the space. And so take your wins like when you can get them. You know, and I suspect there's also a salty crowd with, that was sitting in cash, and nothing hurts more than seeing something rally, and you're sitting trapped in cash, and nothing. then you play. So it's the, it's
0: the worst feeling. And the you know, Wall Street Journal published this like four days ago. S and P starts a new bull market as big tech lifts stocks. So we're we're back, we're back, and uh, I mean, we'll
2: see. We'll see what happens, um, so. <laughs> before I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a trader. I don't ramble about these things, but someone made an interesting observation. I think it was a solid said. Back when the S&P is back to its pre-COVID levels in the NASDAQ, at that time, ETH was at 3,000, and ETH is not at 3,000, folks. So that, that's why people are hurting, and, and that's what, you know, there's there's a bunch of traders still that are looming around, and it's like people want the market to do something, and when stuff's not doing something, I've seen a lot of the commentators in crypto Twitter just migrate over and say, you know what, this this market's too crabby. I'm going to go back to my roots and trade. Because you see much more activity in 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 tech land, and so, anyways, yeah. Moving on, yeah. S and P is up thirty percent since pre COVID. Um,
0: yeah. Ren, David, let's talk Uni. So, um, Santi, you are uh, you are biased here, so I think we'll acknowledge the bias because you were angel in Uni. I think one of the early,
2: Unisolp- yeah, Paradigm. We participated in the round, yeah. Okay, For, so uh, um, not seed, but like the because it was Paradigm that did the seed. We did.
0: The, the, the do uh, do you remember the first time you met Hayden? Because my understanding of the story of, uh, of 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 Uniswap is um so Vitalik put out like almost this call to call to action saying hey someone needs to build this thing I've got this idea for how it can be built and Hayden was a developer and and, and built this. So Do you remember kind of like the early the early story there at all?
2: I do. Um, Hayden was not technical actually, and so he took uh, Vitalik's post and then built on it uh, this AMM idea. And it was pretty fascinating story to hear that. I think it conceptualizes really some of the best parts of this ecosystem, which is, you know, anyone can join, get trained. There's a lot of resources because it's open source and people are willing to help you. Like if you join these communities, like everyone has a personal story where we're very lucky and grateful. I am that along the way, so many people helped me. And so I pass it forward. Right. And when someone wants to join the space, you know, I, I take time and I always, you know, part of Empire is doing that, right, in, in, at scale. And so Hayden, like, learned solidity, built Uniswap. He was showing up to, like, meetups and whatnot, <clears throat> I think, in New York. And and they just built it. And this was yeah. a really quiet time in the market where you didn't have much volume. And default wasn't even a term, but just he built it. And then uh, he certainly got a lot of help from Paradigm, like Dan Robinson there. And you he helped him, you know, uh, I think, Architect V2 and then V3 and then V4, so he certainly got a lot of help from, from Paradigm. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's one of the best stories um, in crypto that you know, really shatters a lot of notions that it's really hard to enter the space, you need to be super technical. And lo and behold, I mean, Uniswap is the most widely used protocol, I think, in crypto in terms yeah. of number of users and volume. And, um, and yeah, it's a great success story in my mind. Yeah, and also, probably. particularly because the last thing I want to say is, I remember looking at the round, and there was so m- there was a cohort of investors that said AMMs are never going to work. They are fundamentally um, not as efficient as order book models. No one in the right mind that is sophisticated is going to want to do this. The market is really handicapped. It's small. It's never going to get traction. And now you're in a state of the world where Uniswap. There have been days. Where its trade, the it, it, volume is higher than centralized exchanges. Mind you, it has a fraction of the workforce. It is highly scalable, and I think what people <clears throat> realize is sometimes when you come from a tr- financial background, yeah, like order book models will always be more efficient. But you sort of like fail to appreciate that there are other things that like people might provide liquidity and be willing to accept, um, you know, the trade offs of providing liquidity because they might be indifferent between USDC and ETH or whatever the two pair assets they're supplying. It also is a good mechanism to like cost average in or out of a position. And so these are kind of the things that a lot of uh, investors, like at the time we're looking at AMMs, were highly critical of, of an AMM or even DeFi in general. Um, and it's an important reminder when you're comparing like, yeah, a lot of the things that you're building in DeFi are, look and feel very similar to what is, exists in traditional finance, but there are new primitives that kind of expand consumer preference that you need to bear in mind. That kind of opens the the window here for some like Uniswap to to get scale right and 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 build a very successful kind of enterprise. So, anyways, yeah. I'll stop rambling.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to put this uh, link in the show notes. It's the Uniswap Uniswap history, and it's one of my favorite pieces that exists in crypto because it's just this story of Hayden getting laid off. He got his first job out of college. He's working at Siemens. He gets laid off. Uh, he messages uh, his friend Carl, who's you know working at the Ethereum Foundation. Carl's like, you got to learn how to code a little bit. Start Same Carl up. that
2: is now at Optimism.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right, let's get into the big news of the week, which was uh, Uniswap announced before. And maybe Ren, if I could pick on you for this. Um, the mind like if you... I actually want to start with like V2 and V3 for a quick second, um, to like determine the problem that V4 was trying to solve here. So my like left bell curve understanding of this is that Uniswap made it so that anyone could be an LP, right? And anybody could like open any sort of liquidity pool for any token. Then v2 was like, okay, uh, maybe these pools are like more optimized for like funds to 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 be an LP. And then V3 made some updates, and it basically was almost impossible to to make money as an LP and V4, there's a lot of problems that they were trying to solve uh, internalization or like leaky MeV uh, leaking value through MeV. Um, you know, the fact that like L- it was, it had become very tough for LPs to actually make money um, in V3, but maybe Ren, you can walk us through and kind of contextualize and set us up for this conversation
3: around V four.: Yeah, definitely. So V1 and V2 of Uniswap started off as super bare bones AMM model, where anyone can create a liquidity proof for liquidity providers to come in and provide full range liquidity, and so that basically means it supports any price from zero to infinity. Obviously, most assets don't trade at the price zero and infinity simultaneously. Especially for example, for pegged assets such as a stablecoin. More often than not it trades between say 99 cents and one dollar and one cent and so in order to increase sort of like that customizability and improve the liquidity efficiency so to say unisol came out with v3 their big innovation there was concentrated liquidity right now rather than your liquidity being provided in the full range of zero to infinity you could choose a specific more narrow range And that liquidity is kind of amplified. It moves the entire reserve curve outwards and provides more liquidity for swaps that are being done in that range. That does a few things. A, it provides a much better execution for traders. But at the same time, it also vastly increased the amount of impermanent loss that liquidity providers experience. Nowadays, impermanent loss is termed as loss versus rebalancing. And I think as the v 3 operation continued, a lot of people became more aware of sort of MEV leakage from liquidity providers. So there were a lot of MEV bots or arbitrages doing top of block, sex to dex arbitrages, or just, for example, back running transactions. And the thing is, neither the people making the swaps or the liquidity providers were basically making any profit or capturing any value from all of these arbitrages. So I think a big portion of V4 is sort of tackling that, right? How to increase profitability back to liquidity providers and furthermore, basically providing more customizability for these liquidity pools so that protocols can sort of own the liquidity. We had this big notion of protocol-owned liquidity uh, when Olympus Down came out during the peak of the boom market. And I think v 4 is kind of a return to that, right? Or going back to sort of that customizability, you start off with the bare bones, everyone got the building blocks. The way I see it is that Uni V2 basically provided two things, X and Y, uh, commonly known within the X, Y, K sort of invariant. After that, Uniswap V3 gave one more additional layer, X, Y, and price granularity. And V4 adds another dimension on top of that, X, Y, price granularity, and now you get time granularity or fee granularity. And it's sort of of these building blocks that Uniswap has been providing um, that basically enables all of this. And I think David would give a great rundown of kind of what the specific features are of Uniswap that have enabled this.
0: Valora is the ultimate wallet for exploring the Celo ecosystem. Easily explore over 50 crypto assets and 30 different dApps for swapping, sending, and growing your crypto all from your phone. If you want to see real-world use cases for crypto, Valora's dApps page is the easiest way to access a growing list of the latest refi and DeFi applications. Discover new dApps like GoodDollar, a Web3 platform that uses crypto to generate, fund, and distribute UBI. Anyone anywhere with a mobile phone can claim GoodDollar right now from the Valora app. Every single day, good dollar rewards can then be saved, swapped, or used to purchase a variety of goods on the good dollar marketplace with the potential to impact millions of people. Download the app, start exploring today. It's veloraapp.com forward slash empire.
1: I think Ren did a really great, great ex- a job of explaining exactly like what B4 is. Um, really to think about it is it's essentially V3, which is this contrary, contrary liquidity model that they, that they created, which kind of like mimics like an order book. So it's, it is an AMM, uh, but at the end of the day, it really is really just an order book because if you look at it today, um, the people that are really predominantly providing liquidity on Uni V3 that are at least doing well and making money are are professional, uh, capital allocators just because of how complex it is. Um. One thing that V4 does is it takes V3. Whereas every single liquidity pool in V3 needed its own smart contract, it houses V4 houses all liquidity pools in a single contract. Something that they're calling the singleton. Um, and I, my understanding is uh, the way Balancer works today is every single liquidity pool in Balancer is housed inside one contract. And this does a couple things. Um, what this what this allows is uh, if you're trying to do like multi-hop pools, where I'm trying to transact from Ethereum to uh, let's say ARB, ARB token, um, and let's say there's no ETH ARB pool, what happens say is it uh, Uniswap tries to find the, the perfect uh, route optimization to go from ETH to USDC. And then if there's a USDC ARB pool, it goes from ETH, USDC, USDC ARB to get you that token. Uh, because all of these pools are housed in one transaction, this actually drastically reduces the amount of gas costs because every single time you hop between a new pool, it requires additional computation and additional gas. So what UniV4 does is tries to optimize gas expenditure on the behalf of the user. Um, It vastly improves multi-hop swaps from a gas perspective. Uh, It also decreases the cost to uh, create a new liquidity pool by, like, I think I saw 99%. Um, It also does something that is, or it it leverages something that is currently not integrated in the Ethereum protocol, which is called EIP-1153, which is supposed to be in Cancun's upgrade uh, sometime this fall. And what that is like flash accounting, uh, the way I think about it is like flash memory for your computer. Um, it pretty much is is something where uh, it does calculations uh, in, in transaction that essentially does not need to be saved to the state of Ethereum um, after the transactions are done. And really what that does is just, again, optimizes gas uh, utilization um, to perform like very complex calculations without actually having to uh, incur that cost on behalf of the user. Um, so there's a lot of gas optimizations I think that V4 focuses on that V3 uh, lacked, especially with its additional complexity. Um, and really, like I think the, the main thing to take away from V4, uh, V4's announcement is this idea of hooks. Um, pretty much what, what that is, is it allows customization at the pool level uh, and really just gives complete customization like Ren was saying, especially with protocol and liquidity, it gives complete customization into the hands of the the pool owner to do literally whatever they want. Um, one of the interesting things is around MEV internalization. So I know um, we've seen um, apps, app chains like Osmosis and the Cosmos ecosystem try to leverage its app chain architecture to actually be state aware. So it is aware of in block, like what the ordering the or transactions are. And then based on the ordering of transactions, it's able to actually ca- calculate like how much MEV opportunity is there and then capture that MEV opportunity for itself, and, like arbitrage or backrun its its users, not frontrun its users, backrun its users, and then provide that protocol revenue back to its uh, Osmo token holders. Um, what Hooks are able to do is actually somewhat internalize MEV um, and Allows like some type of transaction ordering preference. I think one of the shortcomings is because the hooks are smart smart contracts and are not baked into the protocol layer. Like Osmosis is an app chain, so its MEV preferences are baked into the chain. Because Uniswap is sitting above Ethereum and doesn't actually own the block space, there are some limitations about like what MEV ordering uh, and preferences that that Uniswap can mm. can have. Um, It's not fully understood, honestly, like what those limitations are yet. So I was speaking to some people in like the skip team, which is one of like the leading MEV research and researchers in Cosmos um, and a couple other MEV researchers. And the understanding today is that Uniswap can be like, uh, can be begin block aware, but not end of block aware. So what that means is that it can know like the first, it'll be able to timestamp like the first X transactions in a block but it doesn't know like the last transaction in the block and when that last transaction is. And because of that, it can't actually optimize MEV revenue if you don't know exactly what's in a block, like the full contents. So, um, I mean, I said a lot right there, but I think there's a lot of improvements that V4 made over V3. It allows a lot more customizability on behalf of like the liquidity pool owners. But I think with that additional uh, customizability comes a lot of complexity that we don't really know like what the long-term effects of that are.
2: I remember looking at V3 and I said, it's, it's incredible. You can limit kind of where you want to participate in the curve. But then I funded like two startups that like Mellow and another that would allow like for this, essentially for liquidity providers, most liquidity providers are not active and don't have the complexity and don't want to do it. And so there are services that my bet at the time was that there would be these services that would be built on top of Uni it feels like there's now an expanded possibilities uh, with V4 <clears throat> to do all kinds of different strategies, like T whopping and a bunch of other things. I am curious what you think would be the, what are kind of the kit for, for people that are using Uniswap, right? Like concretely, like where do you see the killer use cases that are going to get the most amount of traction with this greater flexibility and customization?
1: I think this is a, I mean, there's a couple of things. I think in general, this just kind of gives the tool. We believe in obviously open source innovation that like will lead to like, ideally the most capital efficient financial systems over time. And really what this does is just put tools in the hands of the developers and and the pool owners or the liquidity owners to decide like, how do you want to leverage your liquidity provision? Um, I don't know exactly like where this is going to lead to. I think one interesting thing is that this could actually have some detriment effects where um, you might end up actually having like uh, segmentation of liquidity. So you might actually end up seeing like KYC pools versus not you know not permissionless pools. And like hooks are going to be related to that. It's like, oh, if you're not a KYC participant on chain, then you can't have access to this specific liquidity. And especially today when a majority of uh, liquidity providers that are profitable on Uniswap are like, I think I saw something like less than 10 LPs on Uniswap make up like 80% of liquidity. And I think one issue of that is like a lot of permission liquidity could be like, or I'm sorry, a lot of liquidity on Uniswap can be in these permission pools. And you might actually see this, this fragmentation of liquidity. Um, but I think like those are the major innovations. And one other thing that I thought was really interesting is that um, Ren talked about out of range liquidity, uh, specifically with contrary liquidity today. There's a lot of liquidity that sits in Uniswap that is stale and not being used and it's just idle capital. One interesting thing that my understanding is hooks can do is actually leverage that out of range liquidity to um to be used in like lending markets so what uniswap v4 may do is not only just become make uniswap a platform for exchanges it could actually make uniswap like a DeFi super app whereas yeah.
2: like you like, might like take you all this greater utilize from- but i thought that was possible with v3 yeah. where you could like you could take that idle liquidity and use it in other places and if you get called like if, if it hits a the range then it you know Gets ported back, uh, but maybe that was a misunderstanding. But I thought V three allowed some of that, but maybe there's greater flexibility here.
1: Yeah, I think that's really what it is, because so, like I think uh, Infinity pools, like a lot of other teams that are building on top of, we're building on top of Uni V three. I think it planned on using some of this out of range liquidity to create new financial primitives. And my understanding is that Uni V four just puts, I think, more. Uh, tools in their hands to build like additional primitives per- and make it maybe simplify like how they actually build those primitives on top. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it really could kind of make Uniswap this not just a DEX but like this entire super app of applications built on top of the liquidity layer that that it
3: houses. Yeah just to add on to what David said there are like a decent number of protocols these days that are building on top of UniVT, for example, Panoptic, GammaSwap, InfinityPoost. I think previously what you would have had to do was provide liquidity into Uniswap, take that NFT and then basically pass it along to the protocol and perhaps deposit that into one of their contracts or, for example, deposit your liquidity through their contract. But what Univ4 does is allow you to sort of like abstract and simplify that process right now, rather than doing all of those complex actions. You can just deposit into a liquidity pool that was, for example, designed by one of these protocols building on top of Uniswap, and that's it. All of the other sort of logical uh, execution is handled by the hook mm. that the smart that sort of like points to the smart contract that handles everything else for you. It feels what like go go ahead, something.
2: I was just curious, like um, with greater customization flexibility, you could argue does this increase the surface area of potential? things that could backfire. Like if you build a faulty hook, um, what's the worst that can happen? I'm I'm curious, like, yeah, people can build on top of this, but like who's vetting and can you create like these, if if a hook were to fail or just backfire, like what does that actually, like what kind of risk does that introduce to the broader kind of ecosystem of, of liquidity pools within Uniswap?
3: Yeah, I think there are a few immediate risks that come to mind. The first of all is like A rugging risk, I'm not sure if this is possible, but for example, you could deploy a liquidity pool with like a hook that points to a certain smart contract. And then after a while, you ask it to point to another smart contract and that smart contract has a withdrawal fee that's, for example, a hundred percent rather than zero percent. And suddenly everyone that wants to withdraw the liquidity gets rugged. I think another sort of attack vector is you're asking a protocol to develop a lot of custom rulesets sets and sort of logic within that smart contract for the hook. And for example, if you're asking some random protocol to build their own hook contract for internalization of MEV, for example, they want to run an MEV auction for the first transaction within their pool. I feel like not a lot of teams have expertise on that. And perhaps there's going to be a new type of business that provides a service sort of like hook templates out there right, for these people. To build on. I think those are a few risks that come to mind. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is an additional sort of attack vector and additional layer of complexity.
0: Yeah. Ren, is it fair to say that Uni v1, v2, and v3 was really all about like, just liquidity and trading? And now this is what we are seeing here is Uniswap making a push into developer tooling. And because like the way that you guys are describing this is, it's not just, I mean, funds building on top of, Uniswap now and like playing around with it, but really this is going to be a developer platform. It's it's infrastructure for other people trying to build trading infrastructure.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with that take. I think one of sort of like the common takeaways from the Web2 world was that everything either becomes a platform or it became a marketplace in the end. And I think we're kind of seeing that similar trend as DeFi slowly matures. Uniswap v now acting as a platform in the past rather than... Uh, Sorry, currently, rather than sort of like building your own decks, building all of that smart contract architecture, you basically just plug and play a super easy hook contract to point towards. And I think that's something that will or perhaps would change like a lot of VC investment thesis, right? Um, Now, rather than building your own like super cool AMM, you're going to build your own like custom volatility fees or sort of like custom order models. Uniswap provides all of that tooling. You can build dynamic fees if you want based on volatility. You can build internal volatility oracles. You can build like an internalized MEV AMM. You can build your own custom orders with these hooks. And like David mentioned, you can provide out of range liquidity to lending protocols. And there's not much reason to go build your own decks and sort of have to regain all of the liquidity that, liquidity that Uniswap already has. And these days, I think developers would much prefer to just go build on the set of tuting provided by Uniswap. Hmm.
0: Does this kill the idea that anyone can be an LP in Uniswap, though? Like, it it feels like these hooks are a really interesting idea and they're very innovative, but now, um, like, liquidity provisioning is just. It seems like incredibly tough. It's just not tough, but complicated, right? And so it seems like professional liquidity provis- provision.
2: This is a left l- curve take, which is you think that V2 was the best uh, version of Uniswap? Because I've seen that meme, like guys, like Univ2 was the best, which is a fair statement, I guess. Well, I mean, it's the
0: best for what? What are you trying to optimize for here, right? And yeah. I think Uniswap is... is opt Uniswap, know the, the first uniswap was optimizing for like this open platform that anyone could provide liquidity individuals loved it retail loved it this is moving uniswap into a open platform that developers can build on top of but on the liquidity mm-hmm. provisioning side like you need to be a professional uh you need to be a professional fund to get involved here that is that is my understanding i'm curious if you guys uh, uh,
2: i mean like that's the it's a great point because the the when i talk to traditional people in finance like i would say uniswap allows anyone to be a market maker but the question is like should anyone should everyone be a market maker like i i I, I, I would say most people would say uni v2 is great like you know super simple it still is my understanding it's still easy to deploy and provide liquidity it will actually be easier in v4 primarily because you the gas fees are much lower and so that from a from a user standpoint, I think most people would look back and say, oh, it's just way cheaper to provide liquidity. And so it opens up the possibility if you want to provide less than a hundred bucks of liquidity, you can do that. The question becomes 20. much more nuanced. Sorry, what was that?
1: No, go for it. Sorry. Yeah. The,
2: the, the last one I want to say is I want to hear your thoughts, David and Ren, is I think most people like impermanent loss is an opportunity cost and it is harder to conceptualize and track um, for most people. And it has been the case since day one for AMMs. And I don't think any of this changes, to be fair. But, uh, you know, that's that's more of a per-user kind of consideration. Some people feel it and are more sensitive to it. Others are not. But David, run, you know, jump in.
1: Yeah, I was going to say one interesting thing that we haven't confirmed yet. But if you read the documentation for uh, v 4, one of the things that hooks say they can do is... Um, it can allow liquidity being provided across invariants, and it's plural. Um, and what that potentially means, and we don't know exactly what the implications are of that yet. Like maybe Uniswap governance will have say over what type of uh, AMM invariants are going to be allowed on the platform. It could be used in hooks. So one of the interesting things, like I agree, Univ3 today is extremely hard to become uh, a good LP. And maybe not everyone should become, uh, no, maybe not everyone is a market maker. But you actually see two different approaches today where um, Uniswap kind of obviously created its, uh, its toolkit or its liquidity provision system in the v 3 specifically for sophisticated market makers. And then Curve V2 took a completely different approach where they had like passive concentrated liquidity where liquidity every single time um, a new transaction happens, um, a user wants to do a transaction on Curve has to pay extra gas cost. For the liquidity in the pool to follow wherever the oracle prices of the pool and it kind of moves the, it shifts the liquidity for the user mm. on behalf of them and one of the interesting things is like can hooks potentially allow passive contrary liquidity pools on uni v4 my my gut says yes so that allows it actually serves all users, it serves mm-hmm. the professional market makers for like the institutional, maybe KYC pools. And for the non-KYC pools, if that's even going to be a thing for past trade, uh, passive, contrary liquidity, mm-hmm. it, it really is loud. It democratizes market making pretty much for all, depending on what your skill set is.
2: That's a great point, David. I, I just want to conceptualize this for a lot of listeners that may not understand kind of the invariant that David's talking about. So basically, you know, you have a constant price kind of relationship X and Y, uh, you know, when you try to trade an asset. What these AMMs have kind of innovated, like Uniswap created this like invariant XY that is basically think of it like a law curve, like it just basically looks like this. So it creates just like if you're, it depends on what, however amount you want to trade, it creates sort of like these ranges, right? Um, and that was kind of highly innovative, right? When you want to trade, basically it allowed to trade a tail end of assets and you could provide liquidity on. Uh, then you had in different kind of, so you think about the slope of the curve that's kind of the invariant and for instance curve which was an innovation of a, of a type of amm it just created like a like the stable swap invariant was just like flatter within a particular more concentrated range why because when you're trading a stable coin like you know a type of stable coin if it's dollar denominated shouldn't fluctuate usually the ball is much reduced so you can feel comfortable creating a flatter curve within a concentrated range where you're going to be trading like USDC with USDT, USDT as an example. And Uniswap, I think V3 allowed for this, like creating kind of like the range where you want to provide, but it was still the same kind of curve. The slope was the same, but you could just say, I just want to provide liquidity. uh, I guess my hand for people like on this range of the, of the slope, what you're saying now, and correct me if I'm wrong is it V4 adds more flexibility because you can change the slope of the curve. Or, inc- or just shift it, is it changing the slope um, or also just kind of shifting the curve? Or, it feels like, I just want to, users to kind of appreciate what you just said, but let me know if I got it wrong. No,
1: I, what you said is, is 100% correct. It it sounds like, and we don't know for sure, but it in the Uni docu, UNIV4 documents, it pretty much said that you can have multiple invariants. So that tells me it's not just X times Y equals K, it's not just a normal constant product mark, uh, in, uh, AMM invariant, it potentially can start whitelisting, or maybe it's going to be permissionless, but it's going to allow different invariants that are allowed. Whereas again, like curve v 2 uh, and in state like stable swap pools, that Curve invented uh, for exactly what you said before, where you have two different pairs of assets that don't have high uh, volatility to one another. Uh, they, they relatively mm-hmm. fluctuate within one-to-one uh, price variance. Um, if you're allowed to have Multiple different types of variants, depending on the pool, that obviously opens up the the floodgates for passive retail users like myself, let's say, to provide liquidity, and maybe one of the pools just moves my liquid automatically moves my liquidity around wherever the the mid price is of a given asset. So, mm-hmm. uh, if that's true, like honestly, you're really like, like what Ren said, you're really not going to see you're not going to need new AMMs to be built anymore. You can mm-hmm. just literally create a hook that creates a liquidity pool that mimics whatever new functionality that the the latest AMM to get a, a seed round um, is, is claiming is like their their secret sauce. Like Uniswap yeah. V4 pretty much allows any pool to be its own secret sauce and you create whatever you want.
2: And I am curious, um, you know, for instance, when V3 launched, a lot of people saying, well, what does that actually mean for Curve? And will liquidity migrate from Curve to Uniswap? That hasn't been the case. Like I think still stablecoin swaps, we go to Curve. Or like for like swaps, you go to Curve. Uh, it has incentives, and you could argue that you know without incentives, maybe the game the game would be different. But you know, lo and behold, it hasn't been the case. What does this mean for Curve? Like now that we have V four, like what would you say would happen to Curve and maybe other AMMs? But I'm interested particularly in Curve because Curve is just such an important piece of the ecosystem that I'm curious to get your thoughts on on what this means for them.
3: I want to say that Curve still has its role within DeFi. Obviously, it has its whole sort of an ecosystem with VE Curve. Convex and everything that's happening around it, especially with the recent launch of Curve USD and sort of like the Lama. This is their booth. stable
2: coin for folks that don't know, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yep, their new stable yeah. coin and then Lama is their basically borrowing and lending protocol for that stable coin. And also Curve has recently undergone a slew of updates, right? Curve launched their sort of new uh, V2 pools and that greatly decreased the gas costs that it needed for these pools to rebalance based on the oracles. But now Uniswap has also come in with their sort of like gas efficiency improvement, right? With these singleton contracts, the cost to deploy a pool is going to decrease by 99%. With a singleton contract, multi-hop transactions will likely be cheaper too. And so I think Curve is still going to be able to compete. Maybe a lot of the investment thesis behind Curve and sort of the new like V2 Pools, Curve USD and Llama, especially if Uniswap goes out and like builds their own borrowing lending market, maybe gone. But I think Curve is still the de facto home for, you know, stable softs. And the Curve USD seems to be doing pretty well so far. There's probably around, I want to say 20, 25 million of Curve USD minted so far. And the Llama is a very innovative model that people are picking on. You know, soft liquidations perform very differently to uh, hard liquidations. And for now it just seems like a better borrowing lending mechanism for both sides of the trade. The, yeah, I think ultimately though, I
1: the only I don't want to say the only thing, but C- what Curve has going for it is that a lot of protocols are dependent on Curve's success. A lot of protocols own the Curve token. They need Curve's liquidity. Um, and unless Uniswap somehow starts catering to individual protocols and offering some type of liquidity mining program, which I don't think is going to happen, like Curve is still going to have its use case for those specific protocols. And if those protocols end up doing well and finding product market fit, you can see Curve kind of not piggybacking off like their success, but Curve is still like having a dominant market share in the industry. Obviously, Uniswap still has 80% plus market share today. But I think. Outside of Curve, I don't see any other decks in the, at least in the Ethereum ecosystem, really doing well. What, what's happening right now is Uniswap started with a consumer-facing application, and it's starting to build deeper into the, uh, the protocol layer and obviously offering these tool, tool sets and becoming more infrastructure. At this point, I feel like the next obvious step for Uni v5 is to own an app chain. Like I don't understand how that isn't the next logical step, because they can pretty much do anything that an app chain can except they're not fully state aware from like an MEV perspective um, mm-hmm. and to do like full, full customization. So I feel like that has to be the next step for uni V4. Or, I mean, I, I
0: can't imagine V5, like
1: the
2: yeah.
0: next our V5, yeah. V5 is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. David, I'm shocked. We made it uh, 35 minutes into this before you brought up the uh, I, I was going to say, I
2: mean, it sounds like we talk about app chains more and more and uh, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jason. It David, David's our,
0: co- David's our Cosmos guy in house. So David, maybe can you lay out this app chain sure. thesis yeah. a little more and, uh, Tell us, tell us why this makes sense for Uniswap.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately the the app chain thesis is um, when you have developers or you have a community owning the entire stack from the the blocks to the consumer facing application to maybe even some of the middleware. Not only can you potentially monetize at every layer of the stack, but because you own that full stack, you're actually able to have like full full customization of your application. Your application. And your chain are actually aware of each other so there's application specific logic that you can bake into how your chain actually comes to consensus Um, a really good example as to why like i think this makes sense is going back to um eip 1153 i want to make sure i say it right uh, which is the transient storage uh, that is potentially going into cancun for uniswap so for uniswap singleton contracts for them to actually have like the most optimal gas uh, efficient routing uh, and, and pool creation for Singleton to really be the best product it can be, it needs transient storage to be baked into Ethereum. The problem is that not may- maybe uh, there's some political uh, side to this where like maybe it doesn't make sense for Ethereum to be catering to a specific protocol because then it starts losing its credible neutrality. I'm not sure exactly what the potential cons are of including transient storage. But a few months ago when this was brought up in conversation, there were a lot of takes on why Ethereum should not be like kind of bending the knee to Uniswap as the most powerful DeFi primitive on on its ecosystem to like change its roadmap and maybe prioritize one or the other. If if Uniswap was an app chain and its community was like, well, we want to just build the best product, I don't necessarily care uh, that um, or I don't necessarily like... I, I want to prioritize this specific thing and I want it to be built into now because I want to make sure I'm building the best product for my users. If you own your own full stack, you can do that. You're not you don't have to start like politicizing or lobbying for a reason why your specific uh opcode that you want in Ethereum uh, needs to go ahead of others. Um so I think that kind of owning the full stack from a monetization perspective, from building the most mature product. I personally envision that the future of all of crypto is going to be an app chain model because it really gives the community ownership of the of the application. Whereas like right now, everything mm-hmm. that's built on Ethereum is really at the mercy of Ethereum.
3: I'm going to come in with a slightly hot take here. Actually, I think the V4 to me kind of signifies that Unisoft may not go to an app chain model. The reason I say this is because a lot of the reason why a DeFi protocol moves to an admin model is value capture, right? That value capture happens through two ways. One, either the internalization of MEV, or two, kind of turning on the fees um, from swap fees that LPs currently gather. And with Uni v4, you're kind of allowing these protocols when creating the liquidity pools and setting these hooks to internalize the MEV to some extent, right? Um, and that's being like, publicly pushed as a narrative by Uniswap themselves, by Dan Robinson saying, hey, go and internalize the MEV, build interesting solutions to do that. And if that happens, then maybe there's not so much need for an app chain itself. Sure, there's certain problems with trying to like internalize MEV due to how Ethereum's built right now, but that's like partially being solved. I think another thing is from a value capture perspective, right? Definitely if Uniswap wanted to capture more value, they would want to move to an FG model, but a lot of what UniV4 was about was trying to provide more fees to these liquidity pool uh, sort of protocols, right? These people that are launching these liquidity pools. Now you have withdrawal fees, now you have swap fees, and the protocol that's launching the hook can capture that um, withdrawal fee. The protocol that's launching the hook for that liquidity pool can also capture a portion of the swap fees, right? If UniSwap's allowing all of these liquidity pool launchers to do that, then perhaps maybe they aren't that concerned about value capture and sort of like the whole app chain thesis.
0: Ren, how does this inform uh, your, your, your thoughts on what they should do with the fee switch?
3: I think it makes it an even harder discussion for them because previously the only entities to decide between was LPs and uni token holders, right? Right now you're adding an additional layer of complexity to that. I think for now, it doesn't matter that much because for example, 50% of Uniswap volume is ETH USDC and no one's going to sort of like get that usage assuming because no protocol like launches the ETH, uni, the ETH USDC pool. Um, but I definitely think that basically products coming in, turning on their own fees are going to have to compete with UNI and the LPs. And it's hard to say, maybe there's an argument here for protocol on liquidity, right? For example, rather than having to pay liquidity providers, which is something that you can do these days with uni V4 hooks, you might as well just say, all right, screw it. It's not worth paying uni liquidity providers anything. I'm just going to do protocol on liquidity. I don't have to tip them. I don't have to donate to them. I don't need to think about this entire like fee switch to LPs, to uni token holders. I'm just going to take everything for myself. I kind of struggle
1: with this idea because I think at this point, like Uniswap has such a commanding lead in, in the entire DeFi space, not even just Dex. Like they could easily create a lending market tomorrow and I guarantee you it's probably going to take 75% market share. Um, I very much think that crypto is really going to create like digital monopolies over time just because they're, uh, they are they can really just expand indefinitely um, with really no limited, limited to no friction because uh, they're so lindy in their brands. Um, I think that eventually a fee switch will happen for Uniswap. I honestly, at this point, don't see the need for them to do it. Um, I like this. There's a piece that um, I could share what you guys call it. I'm sure you've read it the hyperstructure piece that pretty much you keep building until like you grow so much that the entire economy is dependent on you and just the very nature that uni token holders could potentially eventually like hold a fee switch. Uh, just having that power alone makes the uni token valuable. And you can think about like Amazon shareholders, Amazon still to my knowledge, does not distribute dividends, but the entire you know world economy is pretty much dependent on Amazon and their supply chain and their logistics. So, like,
2: I mean, certainly Amazon, like Amazon Amazon wasn't profitable until AWS came into the farm, right. So, <laughs> well,
1: yeah, yeah, but even without that, right? Like, they kind of just took this approach, and a lot of uh, tech companies did this, where it's like growth at any means necessary. And I think with crypto protocols, you can even take that to like the nth, nth degree. You can kick out. Uh, cash flow as long as possible because these pretty much these things gonna essentially like eat all of the financial world over time and as long as they could scale with their users um, so I think you know short end of it is I don't think this necessarily uh, has any impact on whether or not Uniswap is gonna add a fee switch or not but I do like the idea that it kind of puts the ownership in the liquidity pool owners like it it gives them the flexibility to decide whether or not they want to add a fee switch at the yeah. pool level
0: Um. Ren and David, how do you guys think about uh I saw some push. Here's here's the counter-argument to all of this. Um actually there's a couple of pieces, so I want to start getting into that maybe a little bit. Um, one of them was I'm just gonna read this tweet from Zero X relativity. Uh, they said crypto and Twitter has the most literal psychopaths I've ever witnessed. Uniswap literally just looked at Crocswap's white paper and medium blog post and was like, all right, I'm a control C, control V, that shit. That shit looks good with no credit to Crocswap. I've seen some other pushback that like they basically just took the balancer V2 model, copied it, but they've got Uniswap's brand. Um,
3: what, what, what's your thought on this? I think that's the power and authority that Unisop does have. I mean, if you're the market leader and other people have better features for, uh, than you, yeah, you bet your ass, I'm going to copy them and integrate them into my protocol and then sort of launch it as a platform model so that I don't right. need to do any work. Other people will launch sort of pools on Uniswap that mimic your protocol and tada suddenly i own everything i, think I mean, they, they were on
2: the other side of the stick uh, with sushi and uh, basically every other right. one. i mean and you could argue that everyone copied vitalik's post and god knows where vitalik got it from so you know turtles all the way down but uh, i think what was the the concern was this idea that it's like the licensing component and whether you want to adhere to the license you know big if but that was i think uh, where people saying they are painting this narrative that is open source, but when you actually look at the license, it is not, there, there are degrees and types of licenses, and this is more on the restrictive side. So that is, I think, where the criticism came about. I don't know if you guys would agree with that.
1: I, no, I, I, I was literally going to say the same thing. I think, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, there's, uh, it's a double-edged sword with this open source innovation. It's incredible, you know, you, you speed run all of financial and technology technology history like with everything everyone innovating out in the open but at the same time it allows yourself to kind of do the great work and then i'm not saying you know so ripped off them or not but rip off a of great work paste it as your own the problem though is well now you're putting a license on it saying i can't actually use this innovation for four years so um yeah i mean all, all unlimited, like ultimately that's why i think Crypto is going to create monopolies over time because it really comes down to brand first and mover advantage. If you could just take an innovation from someone and just put it under the Uniswap brand, it's immediately going to be a 10x better product. Not just because it's technically mm. better, but just because it comes with the brand and the, um, the overall power and clout that that brand has.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's um, so it's it's Lindy, right? I mean, you talk about like Sushi, like who's Sushi? I mean, Maki left and then, you know, it's kind of like been a they haven't innovated. And you know these guys have, and I think they're always at the cutting edge of of trying to innovate new kind of new primitives and expand on what they have already, which is a lot of liquidity, a lot of brand recognition, and the users. And so, you know, it's it's hard to to the, just create a fork, and then I think countless forks. Like people have tried to cur- fork curve a number of times, it just failed. And so, I guess a uh, more of a question to you, David, because you spent so much time in the Cosmos ecosystem, like. How do you envision the world, like, uh, with in a multi-chain thesis? If you believe that to be true, like you have, like Uniswap is deployed, and like you're going to have base. So you you have L2s, right, in Ethereum, but you also have different EVM compatible chains, non EVM chains. Like, what is the role of Uniswap here, um, and and how does that world look like from a connectivity standpoint, um, and and bridging liquidity and whatnot? I'm curious to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I've thought a lot about this. I think I think ultimately um, it really depends. I, I honestly don't think atomic composability is that big of a deal. I think a lot of people thought Ethereum's like one of its main innovations was like, oh, atomic composability, you can like borrow from something and then buy something in the same transaction, you're guaranteed uh, transaction inclusion. I actually think asynchronous composability is is probably good enough for like ninety nine point nine percent of use cases, and eventually we'll kind of get to atomic composability with like zk well, and yeah, right. It's it. I honestly don't see the allure. Of, like, who cares about flash loans? Like, that's great that a uh, uh, arbitrager can flash loan two hundred million dollars and get a three dollar arb, but like, is that really financial innovation? Not really. Just kind of like a cool feature. Um, so, I think in the in the short term, really, what you are going to see is Uniswap is obviously deploying across all these L2s. Um, I think ultimately the entire innovation, the entire crypto space needs to converge on one interoperability standard. I think that is probably the major thing that's holding the L2 roadmap back. And obviously I'm I'm a Cosmos maxi, so I'm going to talk my book. But I think the innovation, uh, the main innovation for Cosmos and and that uh, entire ecosystem was IBC. Once you uh, have a a set standard on uh, interoperating with one another, Um, You kind of remove trust assumptions, um, or at least you make it as trustless as as possible. And I think what the there's a lot there's going to be a lot of developments. I think over the next year or two that the Ethereum L2 space is going to battle with, and they're going to be kind of going back to lessons learned from the Cosmos ecosystem. And I think one of my issues or one of my concerns is that the L2 space is going to get more fragmented, more PvP, and really look ultimately like what the Cosmos ecosystem does
2: today. I mean, people should go back and listen to the episode we recorded with Jack and Zaki from uh, the Cosmos ecosystem. And one of the things, it, this is right around where they were announcing IBC or and some other features. And I asked Zaki, and he said something, and David, correct me here, if or you believe differently, which is ultimately IBC is going to be helpful even for the Ethereum ecosystem to, to as a communication between L2s. And so that tech can be used within Ethereum, but also to communicate with Cosmos chains. And so maybe that is the standard, right?
1: Yeah, I fully believe, and I know Ren and like the analyst team on the research side are probably sick of me saying this, but there the industry has to converge on an interoperability standard. And today, there is no better interoperability standard that's more battle tested than IBC, um, and it has like the least trust assumptions possible. And there's already a lot of great teams like Polymer and a couple. Uh, I think Ethereum Research is actually funding some zk IBC work. Like I, there's already a lot of work that's being done to make a lot of the l 2s IBC compatible. So I'm really excited to see that happen because then we actually have like a real super chain where like everything talks to one another. I fully believe in the multi-chain thesis. And I also think like a lot of communities are never going to leave their ecosystem. Solana ecosystem is probably going to say Solana until uh, it's actually proven whether or not Solana is like a viable product or not. Same thing with Avalanche, same thing with Cosmos. So instead of hoping that all your users and liquidity come to you, you got to kind of bridge to them. Mm-hmm. And I think like having interoperability standards is the way to do that. And I ultimately think what's going to happen is, and you're already seeing this, like Unisop is just going to have like outposts. They're going to have official front ends on every single L2. They could be able to talk to each other asynchronously, but ultimately all of that multi-chain world has to be abstracted away. And I think IBC is the best way to do that. You can yeah. actually abstract away like the multi-chain thesis so that there's one front end and the user doesn't even under- realize that uh, when they do a swap, it's routing liquidity across all these different rollups yeah. and app chains.
2: If you're the Uniswap BD team, growth team, then it sounds to me that what you're saying is the go-to-market should be dominate the front end, dominate the user, like b- brand, and then just plug in with IBC and then just wherever they are, whatever the liquidity is, just route it in the most efficient way in an asynchronous manner for 99% of the use cases. Um, and so I guess... Um, You know, from an IBC standpoint, like how far, because I remember like looking at Cosmos 2018 and it was like, I would be going to like the, the Berkeley conferences and it's like IBCs around the corner. And then of course they had some like internal like splits and whatnot that probably delayed the roadmap, but like, how real is it? Like, is it ready to go? Like, is it battle tested enough? Um, And an important distinction, I think it's not the same as a bridge because bridges have gotten a lot of criticism, rightfully so, because there's been a lot of hacks and user, you know. Funds have been lost, but you know where is IBC in your mind in terms of readiness and like prove like building Lindy so that more and more protocols and more and more kind of chains are comfortable using it.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably. Um, I think it's good enough today. Um, I don't think it's obviously ready for like mainstream uh, adoption yet. I would say honestly, within the next 12 months, though, you're gonna see a lot of interesting developments of IBC that are gonna really make the entire cross-chain experience, at least in the Cosmos ecosystem and other IBC compatible chains, like completely seamless. So one uh, there's a couple teams that are like doing a lot of great work, like Strangelove, which is Jack Samplin's team, um, the Stride team, which is like the major liquid staking provider in the Cosmos ecosystem. They've done a lot of great work so that you can actually do like cross-chain swaps uh with like one click. You can um, move tokens, or you can move like atom, let's say, from one chain to the other. Uh, liquid stake it, deposit it back uh, back to the Cosmos hub in like one click transactions. So there's a lot of um, IBC abstraction, I'll say, and cross chain abstraction that has been done over the past like three to six months. And I think we're probably another like six months away until you actually see app chains deploy official front ends on individual uh, like generalized smart contract platforms in the Cosmos and having that entire experience be abstracted away to be like just one front end that the user is, is going to be interacting with. Um, I think it's like, I think everyone outside of the cosmos ecosystem is completely, I will not say ignorant, but has no idea like how far IBC has come over the past yeah. six months. Well, I mean, cosmos was like, like no, like no
2: BD team and Zaki would say like, no, we're yeah, just yeah. pure tech guys. And you're like fair, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a sort of interesting state where, like, we are in crypto, which is people have an opinion on like VHS versus Betamax. It's like, no, guys, like, no one ha- had an opinion on HTTPS and some of these standards in the stack. Like, you, you, you know what I mean, you, you, it's, it sort of like reflects the state of the industry, which is it's, it's these hobbyists and, you know, tech enthusiasts that have a very strong opinion and affiliation to a chain and has sort of missing the broader picture, which is, you know, as these use cases get built out, the real users are not going to care have any affiliation to Ethereum or Solana or Cosmos. Um, all they will have, a, a they will care about, you know, the user experience, right? And if you're playing a game and if that requires making multiple hops and interacting with multiple chains will so be it as long as the game is fun to play. Um, you know, so not a lot of games in crypto today are fun to play, but, you know, we'll get there hopefully. <laughs> 100%. This has been a very thorough discussion on Uniswap. And and of course that took us into a a, a tangent here, but I'm curious if, if there's anything else you guys were at or things that you're looking for, like, what is the timing? When does Uni v4 come out? How are people going to notice it? And, and how does the phasing out of like, I guess, because technically you can still use v3 or you're still going to be able to use it, right? So what does that look like for users? Like what's the timeline here?
3: I want to say it's going to be a slow migration, like Uni v2 to v3, that was a slow migration. I suspect that V3 to V4 will actually be an even slower migration because deploying concentrated liquidity pools where that complexity is just sort of left to the user to choose the range is very different from having to write an entire new smart contract auditing that making sure it's battle tested, making sure you've thought to the entire mechanism design. right? And I think one interesting thing that I would look forward to is where the protocols are gonna build their own smart contracts for these hooks to point to or these are going to come as like hooks as a service, right? I think mm-hmm. not every protocol wants to spend their time thinking through all of these mechanisms, writing that additional complexity for the liquidity pools. And yeah, we'll yeah. be very interested.
2: I haven't checked the governance form, but will there be incentives? Like, you know, could they? Could you create a incentive where you get uni um, if
3: you migrate? I don't think so as of yet, but actually, interestingly, I think around... Two weeks ago, Gauntlet put out an liquidity mining stash incentive study that they were doing with Uniswap on Optimism. If I'm not wrong, and they basically did a super quantitative analysis. It showed that liquidity mining does work in some ex- to some extent, and in some cases, it was fairly sticky. They did like the whole like statistical regression analysis, and from what I've heard, Uniswap has been sort of doing these experiments. So maybe that's telling of something that they may be considering to do for V4 yeah. to start for more migration.
2: Because what you don't want is for users to forget about it, don't migrate. And, you know, look at Ave for instance. Dif- different experience, but Aave still has plenty of liquidity on V2, than V3. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's V2, V3, V1 still. So, like, mm-hmm. if liquidity is sticky and users, like, sometimes are not as active. So you need to incentivize them to kind of migrate over. So uh it, it is I uh, my understanding is one of the top delegates in the uni uh governance um committee. And so yeah, I mean they carry a lot of weight, certainly.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh one last thing that I wanna sort of look forward to is how protocols will think about donating to liquidity providers and incentivizing liquidity because now you can directly do so through these hooks. So Maybe they'll think about donating to very specific in range liquidity providers, and it'll be interesting to see how they sort of structure those incentives. Mm-hmm
2: awesome guys hey well it's it's really nice having you both on i mean uh david i think we're due for a much deeper discussion on cosmos at some point and uh mm-hmm. yeah, okay. and so maybe you are the de facto business you know bd head of unofficial bd head of cosmos Chief narrow, yeah, narrative, Chief, narrative. yeah i was looking at your profile by the way thank you <laughs> You know I, I told jason but wow i, I still clearly haven't made it because you don't follow me so it's great um go ahead and follow david he's, better, <laughs> he's a way better follow than me and um i just followed him and so yeah <laughs>
1: uh, i followed it, you really, back
2: Okay. All right. Great.
1: Awesome. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not that we care about followers here, folks. I've been basically stuck in like the same number for Santi, we're now. we're battling. You know that? Do you know that we are, I think, tied right now? Oh no, let me go.
0: you're you're, no. you're you're a one oh one four. I'm one oh one two.
2: <laughs> well, let me you go. Know, let me I, go. I just don't follow you. You hear
0: fun <laughs> uh, so when Mike and I were working pretty closely with Pomp, and you say you unfollowed me? Come on, man. Guys, uh, please.
2: I'll make the – you always do go to permissionless it, and buy. I'm rat, like, guys, yeah. go follow me right now, okay? If you're a bot, I don't care. Just go follow me at Santiago. Okay? And then there will be, I don't know, wink, wink, maybe an airdrop. No, I'm kidding. No airdrop that's it that's the app that's it that's, that's the app, app guys we're not going to talk about anything else other than next time when we tune in we're going to start who has more followers maybe this is going to become a thing whoever has more followers between now and permissionless whoever wins i'm calling it now jason if you want to meet me in this kind of competition let's see who gets more followers between now and permissionless and then at permissionless whoever loses we've got to, have to do something like sponsor like you all know, right, what are we better well
0: Yano, you're
2: already going to shave your head <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shave <laughs> your head. I'll shave my beard. Look at Santi's hair.
0: Santi has much more about his hair than, than anyone does. Here, say, so.
2: I haven't shaved my beard in like 15 years since I was at J.P. Morgan. Yes, guys, I'm that old. Um, so why don't uh, why don't we do that? Whoever has the least amount of followers, you shave your head. I shave my that's beard. A, that's
0: a horrible bet. It's you a know symmetric
2: know bet. That doesn't
3: yeah. seem fussy. It's asymmetric. That's
0: asymmetric.
2: <laughs> No one right. said this was an equal playing field.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll give it a week. We'll come back. I'm down to make this bet, but we'll uh, we'll think of the bet in the next week. Thanks for listening, right. folks.